to do tonight is I want to bring you through the process of the law and the cross, understanding how those two converged and what was accomplished at the cross and what is done with the law after the cross. And uh, in that, hopefully, you'll begin to see the harmony of Scriptures. Amen? And so, we're going to be heavy on Scripture tonight, so you're going to need to follow along and uh, consider this. So, let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, would you speak to our hearts tonight, minister unto us, Lord God, in the depths of your mercy, and open our ears and eyes to see what your Word is saying, that we may see the grand plan uh, and purpose of your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The law and the cross, where most of what I'm going to be talking about is found in Galatians chapter 3. I would love for you to read that chapter, if not the whole book. But what we're going to look at concerning the law and the cross is we start at Galatians 3.17. And what we need to begin to see is that the law itself was added to the promise. And what do I mean by that? Galatians 3.17 says, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a what? Promise. All right? What is important to this is to understand that the Old Testament is not the law. It's not all about the law. That verse is telling us that the law was added to something that already existed. What already existed was what's called the promise. And what we mean by that promise is the covenant to Abraham. The promise actually started at Genesis 3.15 about a promised seed that would come through the woman to crush the serpent's head. Amen? And that was reiterated, and that promise was given unto Abraham, and everything from Abraham on is about the promise that God entered covenant with Abraham concerning this promise. The law was added to the promise. But see, what happened is Israel became so... Uh, obsessed, if you will, with the law, that they made the law everything. When the law was only an instrument and a tool to enhance the promise. The entire Old Testament is based on the promise. Let's look at verse 19. What, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions or sins until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So the law was given unto Moses by God, and it was set in motion to help accentuate the promise of God that was given to Abraham. That promise was handed on down from Abraham to Isaac. That promise and covenant was handed on down to Jacob, whose name was Israel. That covenant and promise was then handed down to the 12 tribes. And added to that promise was the law. Okay? Let's advance it and let me show you something here. Now, the uh, Old Testament promise was given 
to Abraham. It began there. What was added to it, click again, is just have to do the arrow button down. Very slow. Sure miss my clicker. It's not his fault, it's just the change. The law, and it's important for you to understand this, the law is added to the promise. How many of you thought that the Old Testament was just all about the law? All right, and it's not. It's all about the promise. And then everything that God had done with Israel, through its kings, through its prophets, through its priests, was to fortify and accentuate the promise. The law was given because of sin. And we'll go into that in a minute. Click it again, if you will. And it was given until what? The offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Keep clicking it until it does something, brother. Thank you. There we go. Jesus is coming. All right. There's the promise. There's the promise. All right, so that promise was all the way back in the garden. That promise of the seed that was going to bless the world was given to Abraham. Now, the law was added so that we could see we needed the promised seed. We could not do this without him. All right, so let's take a look at what exactly the promise was. The promise was to Abraham, Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." There's the promise to Abraham. Your seed shall be as many as the stars, as many as the the sand and the seashore, and the world, all the families of the nations, will be blessed through your promised seed. Now, Abraham did not have a child at that time, did he? And so then he did have the promised child, Isaac. And that was for him the fulfillment of that promise, but it was not complete. It was not the fullness of that promise. And I believe he had the insight into that when he went to sacrifice his son Isaac. And God provided a lamb for him. God provided a sacrifice. Uh, Jesus said in John 8, Abraham saw my day and was pleased. He saw what took place, what was going to happen in that promised seed. And Christ is that promised seed. So the entire Old Testament is building the promise upon promise upon promise. And every time that Israel would fail the law, God would add a promise. Even in their failure, He would correct them, but He would promise them a hope and a future. All of this was coming in the promise to the seed that was coming. Genesis 3 I'm sorry, Galatians 3.16 says this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. That's all of Israel. Isaac, Jacob, and all of Israel. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. What Paul is saying here is that the promise or covenant made with Abraham was actually made to Abraham through his lineage to the seed 
who is Jesus. When he made this promise to Abraham, he was speaking to Christ. You understand that? He gave it to Abraham in covenant, in promise. How many of you remember he had to put Abraham to sleep when he made that covenant? He had to intercede. He had to stand in the place to make an eternal covenant with Abraham because Abraham's not eternal. And Abraham uh, didn't live a perfect life. And so in making this covenant, God himself stepped in where Abraham should have walked. And he sent that fire to walk in his place so that he was making a covenant promise unto his offspring. Not offsprings, but offspring, Jesus, the seed. And so that promise of the whole Old Testament is always speaking of the seed, the promise of Christ. And so all of the promises that God has ever made are yes in Christ Jesus. You see that? He was speaking all of them unto Christ. The devil didn't know that. He was building a will and testament for planet earth. God's will be done on earth. He was writing down the promises that what was going to happen in planet earth. He would speak them by the prophets to Israel. Israel would mess up. They'd get punished and God would make another promise. What, they, what the devil didn't know and what Israel didn't know is every time he was making a promise, he was fortifying and building everything that Christ would fulfill. All the promises of God. And so that's why we have an, an Old Testament. You know, I'm sorry for some folks who never read the Old Testament. I feel bad for them. Because what they don't realize is that's the will and testament for the New Covenant. That's, that, that's everything that God's going to give us is here. It's so thick, it's so big, this New Testament's smaller. That's because the New Testament says everything in the Old is yours. The New Testament says this is yours, now take it. But many Christians, unfortunately, are not reading all the promises that were given unto us. And sometimes Christians just say, well, that's the Old Testament. He was speaking to Israel, not us. No, he was speaking to Jesus. Didn't I just read that verse? Every promise he was speaking to the seed, to Christ, so that again, in Corinthians, as it says in 127, all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. They're our inheritance. Amen. Now, what do we know? The law was added to the promise. So let's have an understanding of what is the law. The law is... 600 commands it's it's huge we got the 10 commandments which is the covenant law to israel right but what about this law what is it all about well let's understand what all the laws really are summed up in as jesus said remember that when he was asked what is the great purpose of the law jesus answered and he said this you shall love the lord your god with your all your heart soul mind and body This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the law is basically this. Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and being. and Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. Now, it's extrapolated in a very common sense way. How do I love God? Well, you honor him on the Sabbath. You'll have no other gods before me. And so he begins to explain all that out. But condensed, it means live your life for God. Your thought life, your emotional life, your physical life, everything you do. You'll not covet your neighbor. You'll not do this. How do I love my neighbor? 
And then he elaborates through all these laws. The Jews needed very simplistic, very specific laws. Why? Because they had no spirit life. So they need to be commanded how to live a holy life without a Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? How do you live a holy life without a Holy Spirit? You have to write out the law, everything so specific. Now in the New Testament, you don't have the specifics of how to live a holy life to a holy God because you have the holy God living in you. And that is a relational situation. Now, so the law is this. Love the Lord your God with your whole mind, heart, soul, and body. And so what does the law continually attach to the promise? The promise is that you will have many seed. You will, your seed will be as many as the stars. You will have children and offspring that will be in covenant with me. Right? Anything that came through Abraham, since he was in covenant with God, became in covenant with God. But there was one problem. When the law was added to the promise, it was added to show the transgressions or the sin. Let's understand what the sin is that offended the promise. It broke the law. What is the law? Love God. So when you coveted your neighbor, you were not loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and body, and you were not loving your neighbor as yourself. You see this? When you were breaking the Sabbath, Instead of keeping it holy, you were not loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and body. What the law pointed out is our inability to love God. See, we have a problem with this word love. When we read and Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and body, we're thinking about an emotional response to God. (laughs) I love him. I love you. But in understanding Israel and its culture, love meant covenant keeping. If you love me, you will do what I say. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Obedience is love. If you break my commands, you hate me. That's the language of the Old Testament. Love and hate was based on your obedience to the law of God. It wasn't necessarily an emotional response, though that will come. And, and, and what we need to do as the church is we need to get back to really loving God. We have a whole bunch of people emotionally attached to God, but totally disobeying Him every day and every moment. That is not an expression of love. It's like a man, and, and this happened throughout all of the history of Israel, it's like a man who says, tells his wife, I love you, and has affairs on her. Right? I'm emotionally attached to you. You had my children. I think you're wonderful. But I'm cheating. This is not love. And so he added the law to the promise so that we would begin to understand we cannot love God unless God helps us. We fall short of loving Him always. Because what it points out is to our fallen condition. Who do we love more than God? Ourselves. This is the condition of man. We, in the garden, became self-willed instead of God-willed. And we put ourselves above God. And that's why God added the law. 
Look at this. This is why God added the law. Romans 5.20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. That's another way of saying to identify sin. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Thank God. Could have killed us all. We all deserved it. But he would wait. His grace would abound. And so the law was added to show where we were falling short. To show that we were not loving God. Isn't this the history of Israel? Over and over and over again. The law was actually teaching them they needed to stay completely dependent on God. Now, Paul tells us something about the law. He says in Galatians 3.24, the law was our guardian. Other translations use schoolmaster. So I could think of a schoolmaster with a, a ruler or a stick. Crack you in the knuckles every time you did something wrong. That's what the law did. It continually showed us where we fell short. And again, what is it showing us as to where we fall short? What are we falling short of? Loving God. We've got to get this. You've got to get this. Because what we measure falling short and how we measure our sin is basically I did wrong. Well, what's wrong? Well, whatever God said is wrong is wrong. I cheated or I lied or I did this. Yeah, but why is it wrong? Because it is not of God's nature and character. And if I am a child of God, I should not be living unto my own character and my own ways. And the law kept showing us we were fallen. We were fallen. We were self-consumed, self-centered. The law kept showing us that we could not love God. You see, we look at the law and we say, oh, I'm glad that's gone. That's such an evil thing. The law, as Paul said, is not evil. It is righteous and good. Because it's the very character of God. What the law continues to show us is how we don't love God. And so, where we fail, the law was added. Now, here we go again. It's added to the promise. Now, now remember, the promise is there. God's not going to break His promise. I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you through. And He added the law to... Help us understand it's not a cakewalk. We've got to live our lives for God. There's something we have to invest in here. And so he says it's a schoolmaster, a guardian, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith so that we would understand there's nothing in us that could achieve this love for God. There's nothing righteous, no, not anything. There's none righteous. My righteousness is as a filthy rag. So how can I love God the way He loves me? Well, it's by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are sons of God through faith. Not by works. Now, he goes on in chapter 4 to explain it. Stay with me, folks, please. All right. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from the slave, though he's the owner of everything. He's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Those elementary principles of this world is sin, the power of flesh, the self-centeredness. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, or under its condemnation, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. What he's saying is this, the law was added to the promise, the promise is eternal life, the promise is you'll be a child of God, the promise is all that's mine is yours and yours that mine, I'll make your name great, all those who bless you will be blessed, all those who curse you will be cursed, right, all the promises of Abraham, and as they go all the way through the Old Testament, he keeps adding to those promises, you'll rule and reign with me, right, David shall sit upon the throne and the, and the, the throne shall never leave Jerusalem, all these promises, 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 all the promises of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, right, all all those are promises that he's speaking unto Jesus, his son, down, down the road. But he added to it the law. The law he added as a guardian. Because we were like little kids under the Old Testament law. Little kids. And, and so what it is is like a school marm. And, and no matter if your, your kid was of a slave or you're a child of the landowner, they were the same and, and they just herded these kids along. Now shape up, get right to show everybody, all these kids, that they needed discipline and correction. Until the time that the child who was the heir of the father of the landowner, he grew to a certain place and he was then set apart from the other children, called out and said, you will now run this place as your father does. But that child was instructed along with all the other kids through all these things. And so that's why the law was added. The law was added to the promise so that we would understand we needed Christ. We need help here. Now, let's go on. Let's look at the cross and the law. Romans 10.4, For Christ is the end of the law, or the fulfillment of it, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus said, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I came not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So did Jesus get rid of the law? No, he fulfilled it. What is the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. No human being can do it except one did. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Christ lived perfectly to the law. He loved God with perfection. And he loved his neighbor to perfection. He fulfilled the law. It, it's, it's, it's not, see, you've got to go deeper. It's not that he kept the Sabbath every Saturday. He, he did, but I mean, that's not the extent of it. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not that, well, he didn't look at other women. And, and he didn't cheat on his taxes. And he, and he gave the proper amount of this. You see, we look at the law as so rudimental that, well, Jesus never broke any rule of the law. But what's the point of the law? To love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and being. This is how Christ lived. In perfect obedience to the Father. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He didn't come to get rid of it because it's just a nuisance. He came to fulfill it to show all of us how a son and an heir of God should live. 
It's how Abraham was supposed to live. It's how Isaac was supposed to live. Jacob was supposed to live. All of Israel was supposed to live this way in perfection of love to God. And the law was added to show everybody that we can't. But he can. And he did. Romans 5.8 But God shows or demonstrates his love for us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross... The law is to show our love to God, and Jesus did that. The cross is God showing His love to us. And Christ did that. Do you see the two coming together here? And what meets in the center? The love of God. Now, we come to the cross so that we can fully comprehend what the cross was all about. Three points I want to share with you. Number one, the law condemned us, didn't it? Because if you break one aspect of the law, James says, you've broken the entire law. And there is not one human being that loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, and body. We tend to love ourselves more. And we have failed God's love. The law condemns us and therefore, we are condemned under the law of sin and death. Separation. But Jesus came to take our judgment. He came, and as He hung on that cross, all of our failure of sin and everything we have done was put upon Him so that He would take the judgment of God on sin upon Himself. All the sin of the world was put on Christ. He came and He took it so that as He would offer the perfect sacrifice unto God and die for sin, our sins would be paid for through the sacrifice of Christ. Now that's the first essential thing about the cross. Alright? Therefore, however you and I have failed God, Time and time again, it was put on Christ and the judgment you and I were supposed to get for that failure of the law, He took the judgment for it. That's the love of God. John says this, for the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what the level of guilt or shame or what, what is holding you down, but I want to tell you there is a remedy for all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ. It's not your blood. It's not your ability. It's not some life you've lived. It is by the mercy of God through the blood of Jesus your sins are forgiven. That's the love of God. That is the love of God. Every sin cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We are forgiven for Christ's sake. Aren't you glad about that? When the devil comes against you and says, you're a loser, you're scum, you sinned again, you say, that's right. You got it right. You don't deserve heaven, you're no good, you shouldn't have that. And you say, yes, you're right. That's why I trust in one thing and one thing only, the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses me from all sin. And I'm forgiven for Christ's sake, not because of me. And he's got nothing to say about that. And that's our salvation. That's the first point. Now, secondly, here's the second part about the cross that is essential. 
We tend to forget this when we're discipling people and teaching people. You have to die when you go to the cross. What we always do is we tell them about heaven. Their sin's forgiven. We tell them about the blood cleansing from sin. Just believe in Christ and what he did. And they do. What we neglect to tell them is you're supposed to die too. You're not saved till you die on the cross with Christ Jesus. You're not just saying, yeah, I like what he did. I want what he did given to me. You must die with Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I was crucified with Christ. You are to be identified. Romans chapter 6 says that baptism is being identified with the death of Christ. We are to die with him on that cross. The old man is crucified so that you are no longer in that fallen nature of Adam. It has to die. We don't teach people enough as to what salvation is. We know that our old man, our old self, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. So the second most important thing about the cross is we die. He died, we died. I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. All right? So his sin cleanses us from all sin. I'm sorry. His blood cleanses us from all sin. We identify in his death we are now dead to the old man we used to be. And here's the third part. You ready for this? All right. Since his blood took away all of your sin and you died with Christ, it's time for resurrection. You are now a new creation in Christ. Because the blood washed the sin away, because you died with Christ at the cross, all of this is happening as you're confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior. As you die with Christ at the cross, a miracle takes place, your sins are forgiven, and now the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, now comes into your being to dwell and to seal you under the day of redemption. The power and life of God now comes into you. That's why, brothers and sisters, Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not an ideology. It is not a way of life. It is becoming a brand new creation. A whole new species of being. Because the very Spirit of God now lives in you. That is awesome. Can I tell you something? If your sins weren't forgiven, how could God's Spirit abide in you? He couldn't, he couldn't be in here. My sins have got to be washed by the blood or the Spirit of God could not reside in me. Could he? No. I have been washed and sanctified by the blood of Jesus, set apart for him. I have died to my old nature, was put to death at the cross with Christ, and a new nature is now birthed in me, and that new nature is the nature of holiness. Is the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what the promise was to Abraham. I'll prove it to you. Look at Luke 24, 49. Jesus said this to his disciples, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, 
Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Acts 1.4 And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Speaking to an Old Testament Jew, and you talk about the promise, what are you talking about? The, the covenant, the promise to Abraham. The whole promise of all that God had purposed and put in the promise and covenant to Abraham is the living person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That's what this is all about. That's what it's all about. This is what it's all about. We thought it was all about the cross. The cross was just to get us here to what the fulfillment of the promise was that as many stars and as many sand and the sea would come by faith into the family of God and we would become sons of God by the Spirit coming in us. All right? All right, now that's great. So good, the law's done, the law's gone. What do you mean the law's gone? Well, I don't have to keep any laws anymore. Look, at you've got the Spirit of holiness in you and God says, be ye holy as I am holy. What was the purpose of the law? To love the Lord your God. We don't have to love God anymore? No, you see, now the law... uh, Let me show you. Romans 8.3 For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, in other words, we couldn't do it, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. Here it is. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be what? Fulfilled in whom? I thought it was fulfilled in Jesus. It was fulfilled in Christ, but it's supposed to be fulfilled in us. We're supposed to fulfill the law. Now. Well, then what are we doing on Sundays? Why are we worshiping? No, 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 you're missing it. That's the covenant signed to Israel. What the law is about loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and body and loving your neighbor as yourself. That righteous requirement of the law is now possible because the Spirit of God dwells in us. We walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, that's the whole point. Let me wrap it up. You ready? Let me wrap it up. God gave a promise to mankind that He would save us, secure us, to live and reign with Him. He made that promise unto Abraham. That promise was that the seed of Abraham, the children of God that were going to come through Him would be as many as the stars and the sand and the sea. The promise was we would be in covenant one with each other, united unto each other. That promise went on to Isaac, Jacob, all of Israel, the tribes, Moses, David, all of them. Those promises. But all those promises God was speaking as benefits to the people. He was speaking unto Christ because none of them could keep it. He was speaking them and securing them in Christ. Securing them in Christ. He then added the law to the promises to show us we cannot do this. This is not achieved by our ability, our righteousness, or our efforts. We need to trust God that this is all coming from Him. 
so that we would love Him. We would depend on Him. And then Christ came and lived perfectly the law, loving God with His whole heart, mind, soul, and body, loving His neighbor as Himself. He came and then took the judgment that condemned all of us by that law, and He took it upon Himself, demonstrating the love of God for us. And so as we then look to the cross, we find our judgment is removed, and by His blood we're cleansed, and we die with Christ on the cross to get out of Adam and out from under the condemnation of that failure. And a new nature is given to us so that we can do what? Love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and body and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the whole picture of what He has done. Amen? Amen? You see, what we do so many times is we get caught in the little nuances. Should we worship on Sunday or Saturday? Should we pick up sticks or not? Should we do this? Should we do that? You're missing the whole thing. Now, here's the thing. Brothers and sisters, we have no excuse for not loving God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and body. Because now we have the indwelling love of God in us the very power that raised Christ from the dead in order for us to love Him. So if we are not loving Him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and body, something's wrong. And it's not from a lack of what He's done for us. It's from a lack of what we're doing and yielding to Him. Now let's, let's all be honest with each other. We all lack loving God. Right? All right? Well, I'm doing the best I can. I know. But I think you can, we all have to do more. Is it like working harder? No, 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 no. It's yielding more to the indwelling presence of His love, to knowing Him, and less of us. This is our lifelong pursuit, to press in, to discover that love of God. He says it's continually poured into our hearts by the Spirit. Continually poured into us. I'm amazed every day at this love. He keeps loving us and loving us. And I'm telling you, the, the closer you draw near to God, the more you begin to recognize how much you lack loving Him. Well, isn't it enough that I, I go to work and I raise kids and I, 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 you know, I do good things for people and I do things at the church? What happens is we, we do those things and then leave loving God on the side. Could I encourage you to love God while you raise your kids, while you're at work, while you have your job, and while you do things at your church and when you do this. Bring the love of Christ into all of that. It's all in everything. In Him we live and move and have our being. We must begin to be identified as the children of God, people who are different, that we love people, right? Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, body, and love others as yourself or as your own, as your own family, as, your, as the people uh, that God would have you love, as Christ loved. We've got to be doing that. People have got to be identifying us as the most loving people in the world. Now, loving doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. We speak the truth. That's a very loving thing. And we call out what is sin and wrong. 
but we do it in such a way that the love of God is being expressed. The key, what did Jesus say? They will know that you are my disciples by your church attendance, by your tithe records. We're back to the law, aren't we? That the, the, the law, the righteousness of the law would be lived out in us. In other words, our testimony is that person loves God with everything they have. How do you know? Man, because of the way they love me. I was only with them for five minutes and I feel like I, I like being around people like that. Because just the love of God in our lives, this is the ultimate expression of what the law was about. We'd love to put it away in a closet and say, I'm free! But it was there for a reason, and the cross exposed that reason that we can't love God in ourselves. We must have His Spirit. And so that's why we come together together and why we worship God, to learn how to give up more of ourselves so that God can express Himself through us. Can I... I'll close with that, and then I just want to move in the Holy Spirit right now, okay? Father, take this word and help us really to, to, to cultivate it and learn it and know it. Now, I, I need us to be really honest between us and God. So I'll do this between me and Jesus. You just do your thing. <laughs> but what I recognize and what is really honestly true here is that we really need to begin seeing. We have to ask God to show us our selfishness, our self-centeredness. A lot of us are wounded and broken. We didn't get what we should have from others, so, so we, we try to take it any way we can get it. But God wants to heal that. Some of you are so lonely. Some of you are so hurt. But in that, you've become so selfish. I spend more time thinking about my luxuries, my food, my comfort, than I do about loving others. I'll be honest with you. I'll be completely honest with you. I really am more concerned with my comfort than the comfort of others. I mean, think about it. I'm grumpy when I don't get to eat on time. I want more money for my things. Again, I'm, I'm only saying these things that we would get real before God. And why? Why? Because these are the things hindering our love to God and hindering the flow of His love to us. He's pouring so much love into us and we don't even recognize it. God, help us right now. Jesus, would you help us? Holy Spirit, you live in us. And you said you'd lead and guide us into all truth. You would convict and you would begin to expose the areas. You love us so much. This isn't about whether we're saved or not. This is about us loving you with our whole heart. And so I begin to pray. Musicians, yeah, come on up. I begin to pray 
He says, love the Lord with your whole heart. That means your heart is your intellect. Are we loving God with our full intellect? Are we studying God to know him? Are we reading? Are we listening? Are we seeking God in prayer intellectually to know him? Emotionally, are we connected to God? Do we emotionally, moved by His Spirit, do we weep when God weeps? Do we have joy when God has joy? Can you be moved as Jesus when He was around people? He was grieved or He was joyous. The Spirit of God just tapped into His emotional being because He loved God with His emotions. In intellect, emotions, and His will. Do you love God with your will? I'm too self-willed, Jesus. I'm too self-willed. And I'm sorry, God. Please begin to show me. I want to